Fixing your thoughts on Jesus. So I want you to this morning read with me through a number of scriptures. And I have probably more to share than I have time to give. So we'll send out notes backing it up so you can go further in it. We'll just declare what it is that we need to declare this morning. But we're going to read. So if you could read with me. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Since then, since Moses' death, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all these signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials, and to his old land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now, you're going to wonder how that connects with we're confessing Jesus as the apostle, but let's just keep reading the scriptures. Deuteronomy 18:15, The Lord your God will raise for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. Now stop for a second. So there was no other prophet like Moses. And Moses did incredible signs and wonders. He did them right in the face of Pharaoh. He was called by God at the burning bush. He was sent by God to be a deliverer for Israel. He went in the power and the might of God and he delivered Israel from the the hand of Egypt. No one else was like Moses who knew God face to face, who could hear from God, who was able to direct such an incredible nation of people through such circumstances, bringing them out of Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness, bringing them to Mount Sinai, going up into the mountain and meeting with God, interceding for Israel as Israel is rebelling against God, bringing to them the law of God written by the finger of God, receiving from God a revelation of a whole a system of worship, a tabernacle of worship in which God could dwell among his people, a whole sacrifice of worship, and the laws not only the moral laws, but the ceremonial laws that were needed in order for a people to know God's presence among them, to be such a glorious nation that was guided by the wisdom of God. No one else like Moses. And yet, Moses predicted that the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Now, if you remember on the day in in Acts chapter 3 when Peter was preaching to a crowd that had come to gawk at a man who had been born lame but was now on his feet jumping and leaping around the temple. And Peter preached to the crowd that this miracle was done in the name of the same one that they had crucified, the same one that they had rejected, the same one that they had traded for Barabbas, the murderer the same one that they had disowned in front of Pilate. It's in his name that this miracle was done. This miracle pointed to him, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
And then Peter called them to repent and turn to God, to allow him to wash away their sins so that they could receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And then he declared that Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. So you see in Acts chapter 3, 22, let's read it again. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him in everything he tells you. Do you remember when Peter and James and John trekked up the mountain and they were with Jesus on the day that he was transfigured before their eyes, shining bright and glorious before them? And do you remember... At that time, both Moses the lawgiver and Elijah the prophet met with Jesus, and he was conversing them with them about the things that were to come. And Peter, so ready to help, volunteered to build a tent for each one of them. And do you remember God's response? Let's read it together. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, He said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. No one except Jesus. This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your countrymen. You shall listen to Him. This is my beloved Son. Moses and Elijah removed from the scene. Listen to Him. The book of Hebrews begins with this, and read it with me. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So in times past, God spoke using many different people. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. Listen to Him. Now let's keep reading. And church, you're moving out of a passive I'm talking to you mode into a we're reading the Scriptures together. So don't fall asleep on me. Keep reading with me. So here we are. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to them. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Many times and in many ways He spoke using many servants. But this is my Son, the exact 
radiance, the exact representation, the one coming on my behalf to make purification for your sins, but to be raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen to him. Now, why is this important? Let's keep reading. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard it. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So the law given on Mount Sinai came with its judgments, and violations of the law received its just punishment. But we have a message of a great salvation, a great salvation coming through Jesus Christ. It was first announced, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was first announced by our Lord. And then it was confirmed to us by those who heard it, God testifying by signs and wonders and various miracles. So God was witnessing along with Jesus Christ. That's why he said to me, if you can't believe me, at least believe the signs that I am doing. Nicodemus said to him, no one can do these works unless God sent him apostolos. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So understand, Jesus the apostle of our faith, the disciples, the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. Just establishing a pecking order here. Jesus Christ is the apostle sent from heaven. Who he is, what he taught, his priorities, his value system, his way of living, his warnings, his corrections. He is the apostle. The 12 apostles take, they had to be with him before he sent them. It was a requirement that they be with him, that they had been a part of his ministry from its inception to its completion, so that they were completely baptized as it were, in who Jesus was, what he stood for, how he operated, his relationship with the Father, his relationship with the Holy Spirit, his love for the broken, everything about him, the sincerity of his life and his message, how to live out righteousness from the heart, everything about him. They had to have walked it out with him first before he sent them when they were waiting for the day of Pentecost and they were seeking to choose somebody to replace Judas. 
as one of the twelve. The requirement was that person had to be with us from the beginning to the end of his ministry. Had to be saturated in who Jesus is. So that as the apostles are now taking that message and it's spreading the very foundation of the message that they are teaching, the epistles that they are writing, the very foundation is Jesus. So in order, we don't interpret Jesus through the epistles, we interpret the epistles through Jesus. We look to Jesus to see who we are to be as a people and how we are to live in this world. So let's keep reading. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Fix your thoughts. It's a compound word. means think down. Think down upon. Establish. Fix your thoughts upon Jesus. He is the apostle and the high priest of our faith. Moses is being acknowledged. His ministry is being acknowledged and honored. The dispensation of the law of Moses, the tabernacle of Moses, the Torah, the writings of Moses, the signs and wonders and miracles, the deliverance, his leadership of Israel, his unique relationship with God, all honored. But Moses has no honor in comparison to the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Moses' entire ministry served to provide a marker pointing to the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus would bring and establish. Once Jesus came, the dispensation under Moses was finished. Moses' entire ministry was like a shadow preceding the glory of the one who was yet to come. Just a shadow going before him. But Jesus is the reality. Moses was but a servant to the household. But Jesus is the Son of God, the heir who has been placed over his household of faith. And we are that household. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ if we will keep our faith and our confession fixed in him. Let's read again. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting for God, for whom and through whom all things exist, to make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are of the same family. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Why don't you stop and turn to somebody next to you and say, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. 
both he and us are of the same family and of the same household. We have the same DNA created in the same image. Like him, not born of natural means, but born by the Spirit. We are a spiritual household with a spiritual DNA, with a heavenly Father redeemed from all corruption and restored to the original honor and glory of the image whose image we bear. This is our honor and privilege. Jesus is the apostle, the one sent from heaven to establish this kingdom, to announce this message with the authority to accomplish its commencement and the authority to establish it among men. And so through his life, through his example, through his teaching, through his death, through his resurrection, through the power of his redemption, through the power of his victory, through his ascension to the right hand of God, Jesus Christ has established a kingdom whose kingdom you are, the household of God whose household you belong to. He has modeled for us what this looks like as it lives in this world. The king is here. The king is here. We are fixing our thoughts upon Jesus, the apostle of our confession, the apostle, messenger, sent, one who is sent, Not just one who goes, but one who is sent. He was sent by God. Not just sent with, but sent with a message. Listen to him. Not just with a message, but with a commission carrying the authority and the power to fulfill that commission. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let me just dive into this next part. Hallelujah. In Matthew 5, Jesus was in the region of Galilee, and the crowds of people had been coming from all over the place, bringing their sick and their tormented, demon-possessed and lunatics, and he healed all of them. And then Jesus climbed to a mountainside, and he gazed over the multitudes who were poor and needy, struck by grief, humbled by life, crying out for justice. These were people coming because Jesus was actually ministering to need. He wasn't placing demand and burden upon them. He wasn't placing rules and regulations upon them. He was meeting felt need among them. He was ministering to them from the power and compassion of the kingdom of heaven. But they were broken. And as he spoke, his words pierced violently into their souls with thrusts of grace. I didn't make that up. I got that from a blog written by a guy named Skip, and that's all I know about him. But I love the statement. (laughs) I love the statement. His words pierced violently into their souls with thrusts of grace. His words were honoring, inviting, empowering, 
filled with promise and hope. How blessed and fortunate they were, this crowd of less miserables in front of him. They were the ones to whom his kingdom belonged, to whom his kingdom was open. They would receive its its comfort. They would receive its promises. They would receive its righteousness and its justice. He gave honor and hope to those who faced, who in the face of cruelty remained merciful. He said, bravo. Those who in the face of evil and corruption kept their hearts pure. Yes. Not the self-righteous, the self-satisfied, the self-important, the self-sufficient. You. You. Desperate. Grieving. Humbled. Crying. You. Standing. You standing in the face of cruelty. You standing in the face of evil and corruption. And yet keeping your hearts merciful and keeping your hearts pure. You who in the face of hostility of men continued to seek to establish peace. Made the hard choices and hard decisions to work for peace. You who, in the face of cruelty and injustice, took your stand and experienced insult and reproach because of the stand that you were taking. You who would now take up my name, who would now represent my kingdom and because of my name, you would be persecuted. You are the ones my kingdom came for. You are the ones my kingdom is open to. You are the ones that my kingdom will respond to. You are the ones that my kingdom will answer. You are the ones that my kingdom will reward. I am here to honor you. Look past all the religious rulers. Look to the broken and the needy. How blessed and fortunate they were. They were the ones to whom the kingdom belonged. They would receive its comfort, inherit its promises, experience its justice. And then Jesus said this. Let's read it together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished and fulfilled. Startling. Jesus came and he spoke with authority like no other. Let me just walk through some scriptures. I'm not going to have you read them. But Jesus went on to say, Therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Strong words. Very strong words. Now understand, 
The scripture says further, he did not come into the world to condemn the world. Really strong statements here. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The law was brought on Mount Sinai by the angels, and every word was established, and any disobedience brought judgment. How can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So Jesus is bringing not condemnation, but salvation, and yet his words are incredibly strong. Incredibly strong. But let me just take you through some scriptures here. See in the background, it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, to fulfill that which was spoken of by the prophets. Jesus said, until all things be fulfilled, not one jot or tittle, until all be fulfilled. And throughout the scriptures, you see the apostles writing that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. Here's one example, Luke 24, 27. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Remember, Moses' ministry pointed towards Jesus. Jesus said, everything must be fulfilled which was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Romans 4.4, Christ is the culmination of, of the law, so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met or might be fulfilled in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. So let me just conclude this section by saying this. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ has come as the apostle and the high priest of our confession. As great as Moses was, as great as the ministry that he brought, as great as the laws that God wrote upon those tablets of stone, as great as the, the, 
the ministry of worship that came out of that, as great as the tabernacle was, as great as the Shekinah glory that rested in it behind the veil, that has nothing to compare. It says in the scriptures that for the Israelites there is a veil that is over their their minds even to this day when they are reading of Moses. That veil is removed in Christ. There is a whole new glory that Christ came. He came and he fulfilled all that all that the Old Testament, all that the writings of Moses, the writings of the prophets and the Psalms pointed towards, he fulfilled. All of the requirement of the law, he fulfilled. He who knew no sin became sin for us. All of the requirement of the law, he fulfilled. All of the just demands of the law for you and for me, he fulfilled. But he's not done fulfilling it. So that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We're going to look at some scriptures next week, as long as God keeps me on course. We're going to go through them and just see that in His kingdom, there is no place for shallowness. There is no place for hypocrisy. There is no place for duplicity of heart. And why is it that I'm starting this? I believe that my mandate right now is to lay some foundations for us. And the first foundation that we're laying is there is one apostle sent from heaven and his name is Jesus Christ. And the reason why I'm laying that really strongly is because the reason why Jesus had to speak so strongly in his day was because it wasn't because what was written in the law and what was written by Moses was wrong. It wasn't faulty. It was righteous. It was holy. But because of the hearts of people, they only went to a surface level instead of to a heart level. They only went to a performance level so that people could see and they in their own eyes could look good, but they didn't go to a heart level, to doing what they were doing and living their life before God. They didn't challenge the duplicity of their hearts, so their loyalties were divided, and they could not serve God as he called them to serve. And why do I believe this is important? Because I believe we've read more of the Apostle Paul's writings than we have looked at the life of Christ. And I believe a lot of our Christendom, Jesus Christ is coming in as an apostle to, and he's saying, you have heard that it was said. You've had this preached to you. You've heard it preached to you. Pay your tithes. I asked you to give all of your life to me. If I gave my life for you, then your life is now completely consecrated to me. Every part of it. And he's going to come in. I believe he's coming back to his church and he's saying, I am the apostle. And the way that I lived my life, I am calling my church to live. And the mission to which I gave my life, I am calling my church to give. 
and the priorities that I gave and the value system that I'm having, I am asking my church, I am commanding my church to embrace. I'm going to begin to the, go to the heart of a powerless church and I'm going to call them back to the power of living as Christ lived. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It reminds me of the day that the prophetess said over me, I am bringing you many souls that you will convert to Paul's. And everybody went, hallelujah. Oh, that's so great. And I went, Saul's? Okay. And so when I announced he's coming back, I have no idea how that's going to turn my life inside out. I have no idea. And though I say yes, and though there is something crying out inside of me, I believe that the church as we know it is going to be turned inside out because there is one apostle. There is one apostle. Hallelujah. Hear him. 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 We're going to talk about this more next week. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The incredible thing is that Jesus in coming and declaring his kingdom and setting the standard absolutely high through his cross has removed all condemnation and by his spirit has released such grace that what he demands of us is a benediction upon us, is a promise of empowerment to us so that we as a church will rise up to truly be the body of Christ. We will break out of the form of Christianity until the reality of Christ resounds. Only God can do this, but I'm supposed to announce it. And so I announce, fix your eyes upon Jesus. I skipped over one scripture, and let's just go back to it. Let's stand together, and we're going to read. Hallelujah. The first one said, fix your thoughts upon the apostle. But he didn't just come. He lived. He gave. He sacrificed. He died. He ascended into heaven. Now fix your eyes on him. Let's read this together. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose 
heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now we call for the spirit of the glorified Christ who was perfected through his sufferings, who was perfected through his obedience, who was perfected through his death and rose glorious and triumphant in his resurrection. We call for the spirit of the glorified Christ to come invade us with power from on high, with might in our inner man, so that who you are, we will be in this world. That we would be the body of Christ, called out from this world, separated from its influences, and we would be representative of you and your kingdom, its power, its glory, its love, its goodness. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.